and welcome to What is Black, a parenting podcast that addresses topics important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and teens. And I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Duget. And today we're going to talk about the New York Times bestselling book, The Black Friend on Being a Better White Person with Frederick Joseph. So our guest today is Frederick Joseph. He's a New York Times bestselling author, an activist, philanthropist, and marketing professional. So hi, Frederick. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's awesome to, to have you. Um, have you as a guest today? Um, you know, and as we as we were conversing before the episode, you know, I really, you know, I, the point of this this upcoming season is really to talk with thought leaders about where we go from here, right? And when I talk about where do we go from here, I want to look at you know, given COVID nineteen and you know the protests for racial justice, social justice, right? We really need to really need to reimagine right the systems in our society so that we can really. Um, create, you know, create these systems in society where kids can black, especially black children can thrive and grow and even kids of color and all kids. Right. Because I think if 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 there are any kids left behind, then we can't really say that, you know, we, we have a society that's that's really um, bolstering um, health and wellness for all children. And before we get started, I wanted to read a quote from from your book. It's on page 194. And sort of act as a jump off for for our conversation today. So the quote from the book starts, while this book is meant to be a guide for white people to understand and be better, it's important that white people also understand that it isn't the duty of Black people or people of color to explain things. I'm doing so because I hope it can ultimately make change for my community. But it's important to understand that this book is a gift, not an obligation. The gift is in the form of an opportunity. It's an opportunity that I thought was my duty to give, but it's not. That's what makes this book special. It's an opportunity to learn, grow, and share where many may otherwise never have the chance. It's me hoping that you'll understand and appreciate that much of what you're reading is normally some shit that just that's just for us. So the 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 reason I definitely wanted to read that quote is sort of the jump off of our conversation is I like that quote an opportunity, right? The opportunity for the reader. And I wanted to have you, um, first, I want to say, you know, how you're doing today, but also kind of you could reflect on that, how you thought this book was really an opportunity um, for the reader. And what, what was that opportunity? Yeah, well, uh, thank you for reading that. And um, it sounds better coming from you than it would have from me anyway. So, um, but, you know, I, I think that the opportunity is in that what we've done historically is we've created anti-racist texts or historical texts about the history of, of racism, right? The history of white supremacy globally, um, from colonization to, um, you know, the Atlantic slave trade and everything in between and after. But what we haven't necessarily done is talk about the daily manifestations and lived experiences, um, of these issues, right? Like as they've, um, been perpetrated and perpetuated over time. So, you know, you can read about Jim Crow, but what are the lasting effects of Jim Crow on a daily basis in a person's life? Because it's not, it's not just these major issues such as gerrymandering, um, or, um, in, um, unequal healthcare systems and the wealth gap. It's also simply in, traveling right like to be a black person or or a non-white person and travel um through america is a very frightening thing right but we don't necessarily talk about those things and i think that the gift is in that in these perspectives of myself and others throughout the book 
white people are getting an opportunity to read about these manifestations um, and experience them in a way that they haven't before. And I and I love that that concept, especially, you know, given the title. Right. It's a very provocative title. But, you know, and as I as I read the book and also listened to it, you know, the audio book as well, um, you know, just really having it seep in. Right. Why the title The Black Friend? And, so, you know, in many instances, right, I think, um, you know, those of us in the black community, you know, when we hear about all oh, the black friend. Right. Usually a pejorative. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you have the one black friend. Right. But I, but I love your take on it. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, that title. And again, going back to that opportunity and intent of the book. Yeah, for me, um, you know, the title came from, you know, the fact that the black friend, quote unquote, is usually someone who is not only tokenized um, to, to uphold, you know, a moment that people are usually being racist, but but also um, it, it's usually someone who's upholding racism themselves, you know, oftentimes, right? Like I, I could argue that, um, you know, you look at someone like Donald Trump, uh, for example, Donald Trump has a lot of quote unquote black friends, um, Herman Cain, Clarence Thomas, uh, Ben Carson, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I thought to myself, what does it look like to actually have a black friend who's holding you accountable? Someone who's actually, um, forcing you to change and get it right, right? Like you're not going to tokenize me. I'm going to just turn, um, this idea on its head, um, because it's such a, common um idea i think in the in the zeitgeist of culture and society oh i think uh, i think that's yeah i think that's amazing and i definitely got that from the book so again I, lo- I love the title and i love how you know titles can give you a sense of the book but also but at the same time you know there's a deeper there's a deeper meaning to that book and so so just saying all this to kind of like segue into a question that i that i had was and i think you sort of answered this but i'm just wondering right so you, you know, your work, you know, you're an activist, you know, you're working, you're doing anti-racism work. But what was the spark, right, for you to say that I want to I want to put this down on paper and get this information out? Yeah, for me, it actually came uh, directly from a moment that I, I suffered from. Um, I was on my way to work and, um, you know, getting on the train, subway, New York City, um, you know, checked all the boxes of respectability politics, you know, wearing a suit, uh, a pretty fresh haircut, you know, listening to my headphones, drinking a coffee. And there were about three places to sit on the train. So I chose a seat that was closest to me and it just happened to be next to this uh, young white woman. And when I sat down, she looked me up and down and clutched her purse. She stood, she sat there for about maybe a minute and she seemed to get so nervous um, that she ended up getting up from the seat and moved her seat down the train car to sit next to a white man. Um, you know, so I, I tweeted that morning about the incident, just so, you know, talking about how exhausting microaggressions, and I don't even consider that necessarily microaggression. I consider that overt racism, but, but, you know, um, by definition, it's a microaggression, um, but how, how exhausting these instances are for non-white people. And there are a lot of white people and black people saying that that wasn't that moment wasn't an example of racism. And I said to myself, you know, we have done a um, a disservice in terms of how we've taught certain things because we only teach not only, but oftentimes we only teach um, the history, like I said before, of racism, of white supremacy and that's why people think that it doesn't exist now, right? Like people are like, oh, slavery 
slavery was so long ago and things like that. I'm like, yeah, okay. And, and, and there's daily nuanced racism that happens to non-white people every single moment of our lives when we step out of our homes. I mean, even when we're in our homes, you know, going online and things like that. So I wanted to talk about that and give people the opportunity to really think deeper about it. And I think, again, you know, you know, you use that your experience, right, your personal experience as the as the jump off for the book. And even the book is told in that fashion, right? You use personal experience, personal accounts, and even those individuals, you know, the guests that you interview, um, friends of yours, they also shared their personal perspectives. And I thought that was an interesting take for for this book. I mean, one, it is it is a young, you know, a young adult book or geared towards, I think, young adults. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts about that that um, that way of writing the book using those personal personal experiences. Well, you know, <laughs> it's funny because you know, my 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 profession that I'm trained in historically is marketing. So whenever I think of putting out any content, whenever I think of creating a campaign, I kind of look at the holes of said campaign. Like who's gonna say, oh, you didn't do this, you didn't include this person, you didn't do that. And I said, if one of the issues that I have. Um, when talking about any subject is intersectionality. That's, that's a major point for me. You know, you look at the feminist movement and, and how it's lacking intersection, um, you know, voices of, um, black and brown, um, women oftentimes, trans, um, women oftentimes. And I said, I don't want to speak in an echo chamber in this book because I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, necessarily win a Pulitzer or, or anything like that. I'm trying to accomplish something. This book has a goal and, and to accomplish that goal best, um, the whole is in fact that you don't have the perspective of, um, a Latinx person. You don't have the perspective of a Southeast Asian person, um, so on and so forth. So why not just include those voices and said perspective? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally, I totally get that. Cause I, you know, you know, in the work that I do, you know, primarily, I see patients every day and I've also been in the you know public health sector um, working on programs. And now I'm on the kind of like the other side of it and really trying to figure out, like, how do you how do I connect with parents to really explain this, this concept of racism and really linking linking it to health? Right. And my my role as a pediatrician talking to families about racism, whereas many people don't think that's, you know, that might be a connection between the two. And I love how, you know, you use these when you have this book. Right. So, again, that's a tool that myself as a provider can use and share with families, which. So, so I thank you for that, for doing that. And again, you you talk, you know, you don't talk down to young people. Right. You talk with them. You know, you you really set up everything. The you know word friend, friend, friend comes up multiple times. Right. So you're really um, welcoming the reader. And to, you know, to, to join you on this journey, you know, in these, this conversation, which I think is, which I think is important. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I, when I examined the tone and the voice that I wanted to have throughout the book, I said to myself, who would I want to read? Right. Like, I, I think that's such an important thing um, when receiving any message is who's the messenger. Right. So you, for, for, for parents and for educators who are oftentimes the gatekeepers for you know, young adult and just general young readers. Um, I wanted to be someone who they would trust. I wanted to be someone who they even might have wanted to grab a beer with, right? I've had a lot of um, parents say, hey, you know, um, I would love to, you know, just be your friend. <laughs> um, and then for young people, 
I wanted that voice to kind of come off as an older brother, uh, you know, a, a younger uncle or older cousin, you know, someone who is not so far removed that I seem like I'm um, chastising or, or like you said, kind of speaking down to, but someone that they can, you know, hang out with and just ask questions and figure things out. Because, you know, the reality is I didn't write this book solely for white people to learn things. Um, I also wrote this book for people who are non-white to feel seen. And, and, and I think that that's the greatest accomplishment um, of it thus far is that a lot of young people, I, I think specifically to this young uh, Chicana girl who was um, on a Zoom I hosted the other day, you know, she said, you know, I'm 15. I'm the only um, non-white person in my honors class. And, you know, some of us reading this book, they started to see what I might be going through. And it really helped me because I didn't know how to necessarily say what I was going through. But you said a lot of it for me. And they're like apologizing and trying to fix things. Oh, man, I think I mean, that's the power of um, storytelling, right, to hope I would hope, you know, as a writer, right, there's this there's this connection that you want to have your readers to have to to the work. But I wanted to 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 just delve into a little, little bit more this, you know, you're using your personal experiences for the book and how I'm just, I mean, I can just imagine, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Frederick, that, you know, some of these moments, I mean, of course you're an adult now and you can look back on them, but they had to be painful, right? To kind of like create this emotion and be vulnerable enough to put your experiences out there and the hopes of, you know, people learning from it and maybe not, and also maybe not judging you for your experiences. So I'm just wondering how, how, how you were able to do that in that writing process as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, I had to make a decision that the best way of telling these stories and being honest was to allow people to feel my pain. And, and some of that trauma I actually had to, you know, speak to my therapist about while writing the book and, and prior to writing the book, because you know, those moments hurt and they had, you know, like personal systemic impact that has lasted, you know, even to moments before this, this, you know, call between you and I, um, you know, but I, I, I knew that if I was going to try to change um, things for people like my younger brother, who's nine years old and, and other kids, I had to put myself out there as much as I could, right? Like you have to give everything that you have. And that's, and that's what I had, right? I, I, I could have written a solely academic book, but I do think that empathy is one of the most powerful tools that we have in writing. I, I think that's why people love um, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas and Dear Martin by Nick Stone, because those books, that storytelling, it builds an empathy because you can see yourself in it, no matter where you come from, right? Like in my book, when you read the story about me being in elementary school, you can easily recall yourself being in elementary school, whether you're a white, black, um, Southeast Asian, so on and so forth. You're like, oh my God, this experience specifically, if you're black, you might've experienced it before. And if, and if you're white, you're like, I can't imagine being 10 years old and doubting my own intelligence because all the adults in my life who are supposed to be uplifting me or doubting my intelligence right and that's a very different thing than just talking about education reform because of racism yeah 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 yeah. totally totally get it because i mean i definitely um related related to the book you know I, slightly slightly different generation when i was like total generation is probably a little too much in time but <laughs> you know but i grew i grew up you know we kind of crossed over a little bit right in terms of some of the decades 
Um, and, but even so, right, again, I, I could, you know, I felt like your experiences, right? So both my experiences growing up in Washington, D.C., but I think I had the advantage advantage of, I, you know, I had all Black teachers, you know, I saw doctors, lawyers, I mean, you know, so I saw, saw the spectrum, but I could still, I could still feel how racism makes you feel small, right? And causes you to, to, to become smaller because, you know, you share a few experiences of, you know, you were dynamic, you, you know, you were doing well in school, but your teachers, right? That system made you feel small and you couldn't talk to your parents about that. And I was like, that just, oh, that just hurt me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and, and I think, again, that's the thing and why it's so important to um, reflect on it for young people. We oftentimes do this victim blaming thing when anyone is a, a victim of oppression that we, we assume like, oh, well, why didn't you tell someone or why didn't you do this? I'm like, how do you articulate something so nuanced as, you know, white educators not having faith in you because you're black when you're barely old enough to even, you know, ride the train by yourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and things, things of that nature. So what I'm trying to do um, in this book, I'm trying to actually give a voice to the voiceless to a certain extent, right? Like, because there are kids um, dealing with that right now. I think especially in the moment that we're in um, globally with the, you know, quote unquote, kind of racial reckoning and the moment of Black Lives Matter, there's a lot of problematic behaviors going on that lead into this performative and and tokenizing um, uh, uh, of of young black people. So I, I'm hoping that this book um, can help you know those people um, who are doing the tokenizing also uncover their own um, subtle racism because a lot of people assume that oh well if you didn't vote for this person and you voted for that person let's say then you can't be racist and that's just not the way it works and I'm trying to articulate through this text that racism white supremacy they are spectrums and you can fall on it even if not in the most um, uh, overt way oh yeah yeah and then also you know you're talking about um, you know children you know undergoing some of these experiences, not being able to articulate, right, their feelings. It's just a reminder, you know, even as a mom, right, the experiences that, you know, my kids have had and just reflecting on, you know, what they couldn't say or, you know, and now what they're, what they're sharing, right? It's like, oh my God, right? So hopefully this is also, um, yeah, this is a book for everyone, right? Parents, kids of color, kids of white kids, everybody. So an educator. So I think, you know, this is a very universal, universal book. And I think people, readers will get different things out of the book. I'm hoping so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think you, I think you've done that. What I also found interesting, you know, again, my, my long-winded discussion about, you know, our overlapping decades is the music, right? So you, you have musical references, in the in the book, I think also kind of to, to create like a setting, right? Mm -hmm. The time, the time that you the time of 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 your life that that particular chapter or you were focusing on. And so I wanted to talk dive into that a little bit more and how music has influenced your your activism and your anti-racism work. Yeah, so music, I I I think that at the epicenter of of black liberation has always been art, right? Like and that's just my, I think art has helped Black people um, survive um, colonization, um, survive uh, white supremacy in America, slavery, et cetera. Um, and, I, and, and I lean hard 
into that. You know, I'm someone, I have a large uh, jazz tattoo on my, on my left arm. It's uh, Thelonious Monk and Miles Davis and Billie Holiday and so on and so forth. And I, and I wanted to bring some of that um, part of myself into the book because, um, you know, creating a setting and kind of like having this, um, it's kind of like a 4D book, I, I often say, right? It's like, it's, it's not just something you're reading, it's an experience as well. Like, I, I want readers to either listen after or listen during, um, you know, to the songs I'm talking about, because it creates a setting, it creates an atmosphere. And I, and I think that, you know, a lot of the artists, um, you know, both in uh, music and film, et cetera, um, who I mentioned throughout the text, they they tell stories that I'm not telling. And they are also stories that are important. And then they also tell stories that affirm what I'm talking about, right? If you're listening, if you're reading um, the chapter FUBU, you know, um, For Us, By Us, um, you know, that is not only a clothing line, it's also, um, you know, the title of a song by Solange. I want you to feel what Solange is talking about, what I'm talking about. If you do that at the same time, I don't think that there are many books that um, kind of bring people into a moment in that way. So I, I'm happy that people have been receptive to it. Yeah, but I, because when, you know, when, as you were talking, I, I listened to Brene Brown's um, podcast, like, you know, I'm a fan girl for Brene Brown. And so it's part of her park, pa- podcast. She has um, most of her guests, right? She has them create a mixtape, right? What are the top five songs? So that got me thinking about, you know, again, that setting and how music can set a mood, can set a tone. And I think what I think you also did a marvelous job with that is this understanding of what's normalized, right? So when you when you you have, you know, different conversations about what maybe white friends or even other 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 people of color who are who are your friends and asking them, you know, what songs are they familiar with, right? And what we normalize is you know, potentially, you know, white music and and not really understanding the history of how some of this the 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 origins of of rock and roll gospel, you know, not a gospel, but you know, country music. And a lot of it there it's it's tied to to blackness, right? To black creators, black artists. So I thought that was also a great, a great tie-in as well. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I stand on the shoulders of of giants. Um and I and I and I'm very appreciative of everyone who came before me, even people who came before me uh, just a year ago, right? Like I'm appreciative of of the Jason Reynolds and uh, the Jacqueline Woodsons, um, you know, people who are in, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates and, uh, you know, people who are other, who are authors as well. And then I'm appreciative of, you know, the musicians uh, and, and the directors, the Spike Lees and the Ava DuVernay's and anything that I do in my work um, going forward, my, my next books and things like that, I want to have aspects of them that that lean into um, uplifting the greatness that that, frankly, helped me survive to even be here still. Oh, man, that's awesome. And I think the other great thing, too, that, you know, these bonuses in the book include not only this the playlist, right? But you also have an encyclopedia of racism and people and things um, to know. You know, it's funny. There was never going to be an encyclopedia of racism. And I and I think that this was one of the moments in which it was a good thing that my editor is white, right? Um, you know, originally I was I was vying to have a black woman um edit the book, 
uh, when I was pitching it um, to publishers. But the, 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 the asset of having a white woman at the book is that she knows what white people don't know. Right. I, um, if you're if you're not a white person, you can't make an assumption about what white people learn and what they don't learn always. So as I was as I, as we were going through the book and, and working on the chapters, you know, she was calling out certain words, certain moments in time. She's like, we don't know what this is more times than not, because I don't know what it is. And, you know, I'm well versed in anti-racism and, and the history of um, oppression in this country. But she's like, you know, I didn't learn until five years ago what the Tulsa race massacre was. So how um, could we expect that a 13 year old would know what it is because we don't teach it. I'm like, you know, that's such a good point. As I'm mentioning things throughout this book, I want young people to have somewhere to go to reference where it doesn't take them away from the book, right? You don't have to go to Google. You don't have to, um, you know, go to another text. I'll give it to you here. So I keep you involved and, and invested in this experience. Oh, I, which I think was wonderful. And, you know, and, you know, also just just for selfish reasons as well. What I love about this book is, you know, the same same day we're going to do this, we're, we're having this conversation. I'm scheduled to do a presentation um, when talking about the health effects and talking about um, raising racial awareness. Right. So, yeah, I, you know, your encyclopedia will come in handy in that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, which is good. good. <laughs> and I will also, you know mention the book during the presentation because I think it's an I think it's an important an additional important tool because I use books all the time when I do presentations I love I love using books um because again I feel like sometimes you know as adults well sometimes I mean I'll speak for myself sometimes it is hard for me to explain to a younger person right because I might I may be you know talking up you know using my my educational language right mm -hmm. and really to relate it's kind of like well let's just use the book and and we can we, even with my kids right let's have conversations based on what the characters going through the setting the time or even if it's music or news um really opportunities to to kind of foster conversations yeah i mean i i hope that the book does serve as um as a tool guide you know for uh, for for not just young people, but for adults, you know, a lot of I think one of the most interesting things is that um, I've I've heard is from a lot of educators. I mean, like probably the most people I've heard from are educators. You know, um, hundreds of people saying, "You made me reevaluate my education style um, and how I view my students because I, I like to think of myself as an anti-racist." And I read, you know, um, how to be an anti-racist, and I read Stamped and all these different things. But I never really thought about the fact that something so simple as assuming, oh, um, you know, my student in the class, uh, let's call him Jamal, like my student in the class, Jamal, he loves football and basketball, probably. Like, why would I make that assumption? Why why not ask that kid, you know, about his interests? Why am I assuming? And, and, and that right there is inherently rooted in um, our racist perspective uh, when it comes to um, you know, black and brown kids. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. So before we before we start to end, I'm asking all my thought leaders, right, all my my wonderful guests, what are their thoughts on how we can reimagine our society, right, in order to improve the health and well being of black children and families? And I just want to get your thoughts on that question. You know, I I think that it it, it starts with a lot of self love personally. Um, and I don't mean that in 
um, in this idea that we don't love ourselves already. I mean that in there needs to be individual healing done, um, you know, in the black community uh, because we're constantly fighting um, oppression, right? There's, there's so much happening, especially now you, you we're at the intersection of both um, the movement for black lives um, and the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic, um, you know, windfall uh, from, from, from the pandemic. And I don't think that we do enough investment um, as adults and young people of, of the healing work, because without that, we actually can't continue, right? Like we, you know, I, I looking back at this, um, this book uh, and talking about it with my therapist, you know, I was just like, I don't know how people write these texts and don't also take a moment to just breathe after afterwards. And, and, and as much for some people as they might say like, Oh, well, that's not what we need. I, I, I absolutely think that right now and going forward, that has to be something we invest in mental health because, um, you know, we can't talk about 400 years of oppression, um, and not look at, you know, the, the, the reality, the PTSD, um, of that and the active ways we're being, um, emotionally and mentally traumatized. Oh, that is, yes. My, do my finger snaps. <laughs> so for our listeners, where can they learn more about you, about you, um, Frederick and your, your book? Yeah. So, um, you know, anyone who's interested in what I'm up to, uh, on Instagram and Twitter, I am Fred T. Joseph. And, you know, the book is available everywhere. Books are sold, um, basically in, um, the U S and then in Canada, it's sold a ton of places and it will be available in the UK on March 21st. Awesome. Thank you so much, Frederick, for joining us to discuss, um, this important, this important work. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank our guest, Frederick Joseph, for joining us today to talk about his book, The Black Friend. It was a great conversation, and I know I learned a lot, and I hope you did as well. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your support and community as always. What is Black is hosted by Dr. Jacqueline Duget, music and editing by Manny Simone. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. Also, if you haven't already, please sign up for our newsletter at whatisblack.co so that you can learn about future episodes and upcoming book clubs and great information so you can just stay in touch and stay up to date. So until next time.